Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Investor Lab. My name is Goose. My name is Gabby. And you have arrived at the auditory epicenter for passionate people seeking a life of freedom, choice, and abundance. Doesn't that sound good, Gabby? Don't you want that kind of life? You can't help but dance a little bit to that. It's got rhythm. It's got cadence. It's got vibe. That's what we're, all, we're, <laughs> we're that's what we're here for. All about the vibe. This is like this is like jazz. This is like property chat jazz. Just like be bopping all the be way through your brain. It giving you the value and helping you step to a better rhythm throughout your property portfolio journey. Did you That's, like that? That was great. <laughs> Boom. God, I talk a lot of valuable <laughs> insights. <laughs> uh, so yes. what, what are we talking about today, Gabby? And why, why? If, so, <laughs> if someone's managed to get through my, um, my, my verbal jazz, yes. why would they want to continue listening to this episode? All right, do you want me to take over? Because Gabby's, Gabby's, Gabby's killing it. <laughs> Verbal jazz. Verbal jazz. So, Hunting Hotspot series, episode number three, we dived into urban renewal and government policy. So, this is important because... This is really important because when you can start to understand how, how governments and councils plan the areas, you can start to actually see outsized capital gains. So, let's explain that a little bit more. On the last episode, we talked about... On the last episode in this series... We talked about basically gentrification. We talked about natural gentrification and the flow of people to places, psychographic changes and how that impacts stuff as well. What we're talking about now is planned gentrification. So there's a very big difference in the way this is done. We talk about where this fits into council business plans and why it's important for councils to make money and how they make money, but then also how you can start to see what they're trying to do and when you should start to time your purchases based around that kind of stuff. We talked about what some of the areas that have been been impacted by this so you can get some real life examples. Mm-hmm. We talked about um, the process behind the the thinking and the planning to achieve these kind of results. And I think that there's, um, there's a lot of gold in there because we kind of touched on a, so a lot of really good examples in different states uh, to, show, to show real life examples of this kind of stuff happening and why it's important. And also, most importantly, how it ties in yeah. with everything else. What you're going to learn as you listen to this episode and as you continue with the hot spot, hunting hotspotting series, hunting hotspot series, is that everything is connected. And once you can start to see those connect connections, it's like entering into the property matrix, right? And everything starts to you start to just see that everything is just numbers and it's all green and <laughs> you know and um, all that kind of stuff. But you can start to see the interconnectedness of it all. And once you can actually start to draw those distinctions, build those connections, you're going to be able to make way, 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 way more empowered and successful property investing decisions. Boom. Boom. So do you have anything else to add before we get stuck into it? Nope. Great. Awesome. Let's keep it short. Let's keep it sweet. Let's keep it impactful. And of course, if you do like this, please share this with someone else. Because why, why, why would you share it with somebody else? Because it's not nice to be selfish, right? If you're getting value out of this, you should give some of, the, give some of that away. You know, life, life is forgiving and we want to help people just like you to achieve more in their property journey. And so if you can help us to help you to help other people, then that's what we want to do. So make sure you like this, rate this, share this, um, do all of that kind of stuff. If you enjoy it, flick us a little email. And of course, if you want to work with us privately to help you build your property portfolio so that we can do all the work and you just get all the results, sounds pretty good, right? then just head to dashdot.com.au forward slash discovery, book a call, or just head to theinvestorlab.com.au. There's a contact us place there. And if you actually want to get 
a snapshot as to the whole hunting hotspotting series, you can head to theinvestorlab.com.au and download the free report. It's on the website. You can do that there. Check it out. Let us know. Without any further ado, let's get stuck into it. See you on the inside. Hey guys, welcome back to the Investor Lab. How are you today, Gabby? I am wonderful. How are you? I'm great. Why are you wonderful? I'm always wonderful. <laughs> Aren't you always wonderful? Yeah, no, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I, well, I don't know. I'm not sure if I am always wonderful. Sure. I guess you're, look, I'm, a, I'm, a complex, I'm a complex creature. I have a variety of emotions. Awesome, wonderful, spectacular, fantastic. They're all, you know, variations. They're all positive emotions. Though. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? Uh, that's fair. <laughs> that's fair enough. Exactly. Gabby, what's been happening with you? I'm, I, can I just say I'm really pumped to be doing this podcast again with you? I know. It's been a little while. Mm. Just hanging out, just talking about other things and not being recorded. Mm. Exactly. It's just how we live life, isn't it? Totally. Totally. And look, for people that are listening to this, they probably noticed actually that we have dropped. We've dropped. We've dropped back from two episodes a week down to one episode a week, um, which I actually think is a really good thing. What do you think, Abby? I think it is as well. I think it is. I think it's going to give a lot more um, time to a lot of our individual episodes. Yeah, totally. If we got, when we have amazing guests on, then you get a whole week to enjoy that and embrace that. Totally, totally. I mean, for, for us, for, for those that are listening and maybe thinking like, why has it gone down to one and, and why isn't it two and what's going on here? We're creating a little space. You know, we talk, we talk a lot in the podcast about, um, you know, living a fulfilled and full life and we're creating a little bit of space right now because we're exploring a few different ideas and opportunities, which are super exciting. And I think actually uh, a lot of listeners are going to enjoy a lot of the stuff that we're testing out and playing with, but we're just trying to give ourselves some space to play a to play a fun game of life. Um, may go back up to two episodes in time, might not. Who um, knows? Who knows? You know, this is the this is the the crapshoot of the investor lab. That you you know you never know what you're going to get, except a hundred percent value, hundred percent of the time. So hey, not, that's not that's not bad going. So <laughs> all right, anyway. I'm super excited about uh, everything that's happening right now in life, in business, in property, in you know everything. So, um, yeah, I'm super, I'm super stoked to to keep testing things out. Life's a big test, right? So, Gabby, what are we talking about today? Well, we're going to keep going on with our hunting hotspot series. Okay. We are up to number three, slash number four, but number three. Yep. Point number three, which is urban renewal and government policy. Yes, fantastic. And so last on the last uh, part of this series, we talked about ugly duckling syndrome, which is basically the natural gentrification from a less desirable suburb into a more desirable, desirable suburb, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And so what's the difference between uh, ugly duckling syndrome and, and urban renewal and government policies? Ugly duckling syndrome is somewhat of a natural mm. phenomenon and it naturally occurs based on the demographics and psychographics of the area, Mm -hmm. Um, whereas urban renewal is a deliberate uh, process. It's a planned process by government. So it's an intentional act to drive value in an area. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think it's I think I think it's like a business plan, right? So whereas whereas um, whereas ugly duckling syndrome is more akin to uh, I don't know growing a mustache. Um, because it's something that can happen naturally over time, and you know, like you know, like when, when you see someone, when you see someone who's either put on weight or lost weight, if you if you see them every day, you don't notice that they're either putting on weight or losing weight. But someone who you haven't seen for a while, you might be like, oh my god, that's crazy! You've gotten real fat or real skinny or whatever. Now, these are things that that it's like natural kind of movements in in life and and frequency. Urban renewal and government policy is much more like a deliberate business plan. You know, it's like, it's like okay, all right, so state, federal, and local governments get together metaphorically or, or in, other, in otherwise and say, okay, what are we doing here? Like, what's the next step? How are we going to, how are we going to maintain a buoyant economy? How are we going to stimulate jobs? Where do we need populations to be? Um, you know, is infrastructure getting overloaded in certain places? How do we relieve that pressure? Is it practical to build more roads or do we just need to move more people somewhere else? And these are the real conversations in, in planning. I actually, I, I'm, I get super excited by these, these, kind of, uh, these kind of visionary discussions because it's like it, it's nation building at its best. Totally. Yeah. So I, I yeah, so I, I actually get really excited about by this kind of stuff because it's really cool to to you can start to kind of understand the the bigger business plan of of you know an area, a state, a country, when you start thinking about okay, why are like what why why, for example, does Ipswich have that prop, uh, that population target? Who decided that population target and what is gonna happen to allow that population target? So if you go to any kind of council or government um, uh, website, you go to their oh, I don't know, I can't remember what section, but go check it out. Or don't because it's pretty boring cruising around on government websites. <laughs> they, they set population targets. They'll be like, by the year 2030, we want to have a population of X. And it's like they're not just setting those targets um, haphazardly. And they're not, not like, well, by 2030, I hope some people move here. Like I hope we get some musicians that come and make this place better or something like that. That's not what happens. Just in the same way that a business... Just in the same way that a business will set a revenue target and they'll say, by the year 2030, we want to have a billion dollars in revenue. It's the same kind of principle. And that, but it's just governments, governments are measuring their economic um, prosperity using a different metric. Does that make sense? Totally, yeah. I think it's cool because it's, you know, as you said, it's about the designing and crafting of the nation as a whole. Mm. And it's actually this kind of planning that goes into making the changes and developing our societies and our communities and everything that a lot of people, most people don't have awareness of and most people don't understand. And it's kind of, you know, like you said, you go on the government websites and they've all got these plans that are there saying like, this is our mission, these are our targets. Um, And they're there for everyone, for every council, every state government, there's those kind of documents. And that's kind of a really big driver and an indicator of where things are going because you've mm. got the whole government deliberately basing all of their actions around hitting those targets. Yep, 100%. 100%. A lot of people think that um, that governments are some socialist construct where we all get to have a voice and how wonderful and how cool is democracy. The reality is they're a business, right? That's, that's the function, yeah. right? And so as a business, they need to make money. They've got revenue targets. They need to produce a certain amount of it. That's why we have taxes. They need to revenue raise. They need to do different stuff. Governments don't build roads because they think that if they build roads, people are going to think they're cool. 
Um, there may be some like political vote, uh, you know, vote, votes uh, kind of grabbing with that kind of stuff. The reality is though, they, they make decisions based on what's going to create the most amount of money, right? So if, uh, if Victoria or Sydney or, 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 or Victoria or New South Wales or whatever, if they make more money, they, they can invest more to attract better people and there's all of this kind of stuff. Yes, there's political aspects to why they want to create the money to create more affluence and all of that kind of stuff. But everything's based on sound business decisions, which I think is really interesting because one of the unique characteristics about, uh, well, one of the biggest problems with politics in Australia is that our uh, elections are in like four-year cycles, right? Mm-hmm. So planning to this degree, you can't, you can't affect those kind of national, you know, chess piece moving plays over four years, typically. Um, Gough Whitlam tried to do it and that didn't end well for him. So um, the problem is that often we often, you know, the political cycles corrupt the plans, which is why everyone complains that ah, nothing ever gets done in politics yeah. because the, the political cycles are out of, out of sync with the um, nation building cycles, right? So, so to speak. Interestingly though, China has a 2000 year plan, which is fascinating. Do they really? Yeah, totally. So they have, um, they, they, they look at things in much longer cycles, mm. <laughs> much longer cycles. And so um, I find that really fascinating and an interesting difference between the way you know, Western governments, so to speak, uh, think about how, what can they do now to, they, they'll have a big vision, which might take eight to 10 years or 12 years or 20 years, but then they've got to still play a short game to go, how do I stay in power for long enough to be able to affect this kind of change? Mm-hmm. So it's a really interesting thing. But anyway, enough about politics, back into property. So do you have anything to say about that little, <laughs> <laughs> do you have anything to say about that little rant there, Gabo? I mean, we find politics fascinating in the, yeah. in the whole the whole structure, but it is like that's not to say that they only do things just for the short sword. No, um, you know, a lot of great change does happen in those short kind of electoral cycles. Um, yep, and most of the time, it does actually fit a bigger bigger picture vision. But as you said, it is quite interesting when you think about. Um, you know, they might have a campaign that they're going to build this new highway mm. in Melbourne or another capital city. And you're right. If that takes longer than four years, then the collective society starts to lose faith in them because they can't see the vision because there hasn't been progress because it probably takes more than four years to run that whole project. So then by the time the next election comes, people don't believe them anymore. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's classic persuasion. It's classic, classic persuasion. Sell them on the dream. And then, but then it's like, oh, but you're going to have to keep, you're going to have to keep this here to deliver the outcomes. Right. Yeah. So, um, but these kind of projects happen all of the time and I, I, they're, they're really cool to watch and see. So what we talked about last time was like, you know, how people move and the kind of like what, what stimulates organic, um, organic gentrification. However, what's uniquely different about this is, is that it's planned. It's very deliberate. They set their business plan. They go, okay, as a government, what are we going to do? What are we going to do to make an impact? And how are we going to stay, how are we going to stay in power basically by doing that? Mm-hmm. So you see some of these examples in a few different places. Like, so Sunshine Coast is a hugely awesome example. One of the first reasons I ever got excited about Sunshine Coast was because I could, it was the urban, urban renewal plans by the government. I mean, they've got, they've taken it from a basically a sleepy seaside village into 
a, a metropolitan centre. You know, it's becoming an international city in its own right. And that hasn't happened by accident. That hasn't happened by people moving there because it was nice to live by the beach. I mean, there's beaches, or in case you haven't noticed, we're an island nation. There's beaches literally all around the country. So why did it happen there? Like why specifically, why specifically has the Sunshine Coast accelerated? And it's not because of its proximity to Brisbane because there's other stuff closer to Brisbane, right? So that may play a little factor, like there's good connectivity and stuff like that, but it was because of their urban renewal plans. They set out with a plan and they said, we want to transform this this area into something bigger. And they had a vision and they started, started to build out a plan. As a result, they've done stuff like campaigning to get more infrastructure to their area. So that's why they've got stuff like university hospital, uh, light rail, the Sunshine Plaza upgrade, the airport upgrade, all of this kind of stuff. Now, this takes a lot of effort and work. Firstly, there's going to be revenue generating activities to be able to pay for that kind of stuff. Part of that's going to be lobbying to get more money from federal government. And there's a whole bunch of work that needs to go into it. The net result though, is that people start to move there. They start to go, oh my God, there's more jobs because of all of the infrastructure. There's more uh, opportunity because there's more affluence. There's um, more, more livability because of all the new things that are happening there and all of that kind of stuff. And you can take an area which might have a good lifestyle driver, i.e. like a beach, and turn it into something which, which can create its own, uh, create its own self-sustaining and, and abundant economy. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah. So... Um, the other thing, the other, something like a, another really interesting area where I've been paying attention to this for quite some time is in the south of Perth. So, um, there's areas like Armadale, which if anyone knows Armadale in the south of Perth, like it ain't great. Right? Sorry. If you're listening to this and you live in Armadale, sorry. Run, run. Yeah. It's just like, like, but, but Hey, would I, would I buy a property in Armadale? Yep. I would. Why? Uh, well, because, because a, pretty much the properties can't get any cheaper, right? They'd have to almost start giving them away, mm-hmm. right? And not only that, there's, there's basically a lot of uh, urban renewal projects designed to turn Armadale into a satellite hub, much like Geelong is for Melbourne. You know, so it's got good rail links and they're trying to, they're stimulating. They're like, okay, how, how do we turn this place around? Because at the moment, uh, you know, it's not a desirable place to be. And in fact, the thing is, if, you, if the government doesn't, actively turn turn places around if they don't actively try and renew places what can happen is they can become embedded in as a as a bit of a dive and almost a bit of a slum right this is how slums form is is that there's no um, no rejuvenation of a project Mm -hmm. now uh, there's heaps of other places that we've seen this kind of stuff happen as well like sunshine in melbourne is a really 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 great example where they went okay we're going to deliberately turn this into a jobs node right and in order to do, deliberately turn it into a jobs node we're going to improve the parks we're going to change the zoning and all of that kind of stuff and, and this is what's going to stimulate more growth and more opportunity in those kind of areas who does decide which way those growth corridors kind of go because if you think again you think about capital cities it, it, it they can sprawl out to a certain point and have their own inner ring but then mm. there kind of has to be a decision about which way to go like which who what level is that decision on is that it, i don't know to be honest i i i like state state for sure state. but i think but i but i think there'd need to be some federal oversight on that kind of stuff as well mm-hmm. but like interestingly um i can't remember what it was i think it was like in this i can't remember but in the middle part of the 1900s um there was a labor government in power in victoria 
and they set out to decentralize the state, right? They went, nah, we're going to decentralize everything. So um, rather than, um, what's the port in Melbourne? Port Port Melbourne, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> port Melbourne. so rather, than, rather, than, rather than Port Melbourne being the shipping hub, um, there's actually a better deep water port out near Sale, the Port of Sale. So um, they wanted to decentralize all of these all of these different resource hubs, right, to create satellite cities. So to create statewide sprawl, not just city sprawl. Um, and that would have been really, really good because it would have diversified the economic centres all around the state and created more overall prosperity. However, there was a lot of lobbying from a lot of different um, organisations which, which kind of, you know, broke that up even though they started putting some of the infrastructure projects in place when they were in power, a liberal government came into power and this is not, you know, I'm not having the liberal labor discussion. I'm just pointing out facts. And they went, no, actually nah, scrap all of this decentralization. We want everything centered around Melbourne because it's more efficient. And let's be honest, it is more efficient. Trucking doesn't have to go as far, all of that kind of stuff. It's more efficient. So they went, nah, bang, everything is in one spot. And that made sense. Financially, it made sense until it doesn't. And the point that it doesn't is when people can't get anywhere. There's not enough infrastructure. There's not enough planning. There's too many people. And there's actually, it's actually a problem where it's actually gone too good, right? Yeah. And now in Victoria, they're in a position where they're like, how do we get everyone out of Melbourne? Like, how do we decentralize now? And this is the big thing. This is what's driving now. Look, right now, there ain't, I wouldn't be, you know, like the, the situation in Victoria is probably you know, less desirable for investing. But conceptually, at least, we can understand that that is why regional areas radiating, radiating out from the city of Melbourne have been so prosperous and have achieved such high levels of growth over the last even like five, 10 years because they've been actively going, how do we get people out of it? We can't build rails and roads fast enough to tolerate the amount of people trying to get here. So how do we just get people out? And then it becomes a decision about, okay, is it cheaper to try and find ways to get them to stay here or is it cheaper to find ways to get them to go somewhere else? And the reality is when you start to push them out into other places as well, you create a more diversified economy which is going to give you more stability, which is why areas like Latrobe Valley, Geelong, Bendigo, Ballarat, Albury, Wodonga, that's why all of these places, even places as far flung as Bansdale, have been seeing huge amounts of growth because of active government intervention that says, you know what, rather than the ATO having an office in the middle of the city, why don't we have an ATO office in Geelong? And why don't we have one in Aubrey-Wodonga as well, right? Because then they're, 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 and then they're saying to the people like, hey, you want the jobs? There's jobs. You want a job? Great, there's jobs. Go just go just <laughs> got to go just a little bit over there. And by the way, we'll make it easier by building a rail. We'll do all this other kind of stuff so you don't yeah. feel disconnected. And there's, there's, this is the whole, the whole thing. Now, this has happened in so many places and it continues to happen now. So if you can start to... Uh, understand what what to look for, you can start to capitalize on this stuff as well. So a really great place to to look for this is actually government websites. Mm-hmm. So you look at there, just look up like development plans and stuff like that to understand what the council is trying to do. Here's the thing though, governments don't always tell the truth. Or actually, <laughs> let me rephrase that. They don't always hit their targets, yeah. okay? Yeah. Just in the same way that, that in business, there are some CEOs that that, you know, build multi-billion dollar companies and there are some business owners who, you know, go broke and go bankrupt. The same thing happens with councils, right? Councils are a business and essentially the um, the mayor, the premier or the whatever, whoever's in charge is essentially the CEO of that economic uh, economic portion of the country. Mm. If, they, if they're not a good business manager, that can go really badly and that's when the, the federal government has to step in to stop uh, areas going backwards which is when why you see the federal government might step in and go, actually, 
Perth, here's a whole bunch of cash because you got to sort yourself out. Like this is not going well, guys. Um, and that's that's kind of what what drives that kind of stuff. So you sort of got to look at the track record of the governments as well. So Ipswich, for example, has got very ambitious population targets, yet they have got a very good track record of meeting those population targets. Yeah, right. Yep. Yeah, they've they've got a good track record of actually doing what they say they're going to do. Um, so. You sort of need to look at a little bit of the integrity, just in the same way that you might invest in stocks and shares. If you're going to go and invest in, I don't know, ANZ, you're going to be like, okay, are these guys clowns? Like, does the guy at the top know what's going on? Are they making good decisions or bad decisions? You know, like, and, and that's kind of how you need to think about it when you're thinking about uh, renewal plans because anyone can put anything on a website. They can say, by the year 2021, we're going to have seven Ferris wheels for every resident in the city. It's like, yeah, but who wants seven Ferris wheels, right? That's not going to happen. So you've got to think about, okay, what is the actual efficacy of what they're trying to achieve and why? And, uh, and you can start to look for it because they, typically councils and governments are not shy about telling you what they're going to do, right? Yeah. <laughs> right? So it's about sifting through that noise and going, okay, what's actually going to happen here? Yeah, cool. So it's, it sounds like, um, you know, there's that, there's that, there's that saying of um, plan, plan, what is it? Planning is... Uh, plans are useless, but planning is essential. That's it. So depending on the integrity of that particular council and their business management skills, the, the idea of having the plan there is basically it's not necessarily for the community to look at that plan and go, okay, well, in five years, that's what life is going to be like. It's to get a, have a gauge of the direction and where understanding where the focus is pointing for that particular council. A hundred percent. Oh, I agree. I agree. It's, it, 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 it is. It is really that. It's about going, okay, what are the plans? How are they actually going to do it? Just in the same way that you might, you know, go and invest in a business. It's all well and good for some for a business to go to an investor and say, we believe our company's worth a billion dollars and we want, we want some funding and we're going to do this. And it's like, yep. yeah, but what's the plan, guys? Like, yep. what's the plan? And they're like, what are you doing here? Like, how, why is it worth that much? And how are you going to do it? How are you going to create that money? Oh, Facebook ads? Brrr, I don't know. It's probably not good enough, right? So you need to think about how are they going to do it? Like what is, what is the actual strategy? So if, they, if, a, if a council says we're going to increase population by 25% over the next 10 years, what, what is going to drive that, that population growth? And then you've got to look at what is the uh, efficacy of the funding pipelines, which is why it's so important when you look at infrastructure um, projects. We sort of talked about infrastructure a couple of episodes ago, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when you look at infrastructure projects, you've got to look at what stage they're at, okay? So there's announced uh, and then there's approved and then there's like started. And so announced is great, but anyone can come up with a lot of big ideas. Then you've got to go through the approval phase to go, okay, oh, so, okay, so this is actually, people have look, looked at this a bit deeper and this is going to happen. And then when is that actually starting? And there's sort of the three phases of when you would invest in line with infrastructure. The reality is, Infrastructure projects, we're talking rail, air, boats and everything like that. Urban renewal is a little bit more uh, based around uh, livability as well. You know, so it might, be, it might be how do we make nicer parks? How do we clean the streets more? Um, how, do we, you know, how do we fix up all the broken footpaths? How do we create a beautiful central plaza that people want to visit? You know, a really, really great example of that is in, is in South Australia in uh, Modbury. So Modbury Plaza, all right, so Modbury Plaza was... Much like pretty much any like suburban shopping plaza, we've all been there. You know the ones that are run down, burnt out, and quite frankly, shit. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so that was Modbury. Um, that was tea, tea Tree Plaza. I think it is actually Tea Tree. Tea Tree Plaza. Modbury Plaza. Anyway, you'll work it out. Tea Tree. 
Tea Tree Plaza. They so they so they did a huge big facelift, right? And they went, oh, actually, let's turn this into like this beautiful place. Now there's nice restaurants and there's all this cool stuff, and people can go there. And yes, part of that is private, and part of that is public. But that kind of gentrification has made the area more livable. And in fact, that's one of the honestly one of the reasons why the suburbs around the Tea Tree Plaza have a zero percent vacancy rate. Like you know, livability. The livability is sky high they've got trees in the streets they've got great facilities people don't need to travel anywhere else they feel safe walking around and there's good connectivity by public transport and that's the kind of the vision where people can go how do we make this nicer it's like cleaning up your house how do we make this nicer and how do we make people want to be here more so that that so that they're prepared to pay more rates the values will go up in the houses they'll pay more rates council makes more money like it's 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 all comes back to money yeah, that's interesting because that kind of comes back, you know, you loop back, we're looping back to um, the transport infrastructure point, looping back to mm. even the ugly duckling in that scenario because yep. you think a lot of the times when I think either state government or councils, when they announce like a big new plan, like it might be the next five or 10 year plan yep. and they'll identify like one area or one suburb that they're going to really focus on and they're yep. going to transform that into a jobs node or some other major hub and you get that a lot of the time you get that ugly duckling sensation if you're familiar with the area like what do you mean that's going to become a hub over there nothing happens there what are you talking Mm -hmm. about and it's interesting how that becomes like it rolls back into that ugly duckling situation except this is obviously a planned process and this is deliberate by governments but it's cool to see that when they do those announcements and you're like if you have that reaction of i don't i don't i can't picture that happening there yeah. that's usually the start of this happening particularly obviously once they announce that that is happening like that is they've already done a lot of work yeah to decide like that's where it's going so it's not like speculation from a uh a resident's perspective it's like no this is where it's going I couldn't. Agree, I couldn't agree more. And it's really, it's really interesting. So a couple of things are brought up there that this does lean into a few other ones. The whole point with this whole series, and we touched on this at the very start of the series. What you want to be looking for is you want to be looking for three or four of these factors to be tied together, right? And the, and they should be intrinsically tied together. If they're disparate in a completely frag, fragmented and fractured way, you might actually find that there's there's like, well, it's probably not going to happen, right, for a start because they, they do feed into each other. But you want to look for these different aspects. Now, the greatest gains, like from an investor's perspective and why this is important, the greatest gains that you will find are right when right at a transition point, right? And that's when the, big, that's when the biggest shift happens. So... When 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 an area changes from what it was to what it can be, that's when you see the most amount of capital growth, yeah. right? There's 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 a lot to be said for like slow, steady, chug along, you know, consistent year on year, um, good growth, blue chip, all of that kind of stuff. And that's great if you want to hit sort of like sixes and sevens in your growth. But if you want to hit tens and twelves in your growth, you need to be looking for like, okay, where am I? Where am I going to be putting? Where am I going to be putting my money that's going to be part of a shift, right? Where it's going to be part of a transition. And that transition, and like even looping back, you said that this it's interesting how this related to transport infrastructure. Go back to the psychographics versus demographics episode as well. This leans all into it. And the, the whole idea with this series is that we're coagulating and building up a file in your mind so you can start to visualize how this stuff works too. Once you can find, once you can start to see 
the interconnectedness of these ideas and principles, you're going to be able to start to identify your own hotspots. And this is the point of the whole series, right? Yeah. So, so I'm just thinking about timing with this. So mm. when I, it, it sounds easy enough just looking at this particular point that it's like, okay, I just monitor councils that I know. And when they make an announcement that they're going to renew a certain area, I just go and buy there. Like that's kind of what it sounds like, but I know mm. it's not that simple. No. Because I would imagine there's different points. So like if you buy in immediately when something is announced, you've got to be able to hold on to that it asset has, yeah. until it reaches that point. So you could be holding onto it for longer than you need to if you waited for a different point. Yeah, totally. So timing is critical, right? So what I always say is you need to see three or four of these kind of drivers working together, mm-hmm. right? So if you just hear like, oh, the council's announced, I don't know, they're going to improve the local shopping district. That's great, but that wouldn't, that wouldn't be enough of a trigger to want to go and buy a property yeah. immediately, okay? You, you're going to need to be able to see some of these other factors. So, okay, what, what's like just because they make it nice doesn't mean like you can have a party, you can make a nice party and have no attendees, right? So um, you've got to look at what's actually going to be driving that growth over the long term and, and, and you've also got to buy assets which you can hold anyway because you don't always get it right. So let's just say, okay, there was an infrastructure project. Uh, you could see that there was natural gentrification and they were doing an urban re- renewal project, right? Hit the first three points that we've talked about, which would be, you know, quite quite likely actually that that would happen. Uh, if you can see that kind of stuff and you go, yes, all right, awesome. They're building a new rail link and they're improving the town center and um, and there's lots of people with mustaches walking around there. Um, <laughs> flannos. Yeah, flannos and mows, <laughs> flannos. <laughs> and if there's flannos, trains and cool shopping, <laughs> flannos, trains and automobiles, then you might be like, oh my God, this is awesome. And you might go and buy them. And that that's, could be a very good idea. Here's the thing though. You don't always get timing right. So yeah. timing can be a yeah. little slower. You want to be positioning yourself to get the maximum amount of capital growth in the shortest amount of time. And that comes down to timing. However, if you buy an asset that you can't hold and something ch- changes and shifts, we've seen that the, like with the whole coronavirus thing going on, areas which should have gone, has skyrocketed, have gone okay, but they're yeah. slow. They're slow right now. And so you need to be able to buy assets which are going to help you weather that storm, which is why 100% of the time you have to buy cash flow positive properties and you've got to look for these high growth areas. And then you've also got to have the ability to be able to add value uh, over time. You know, that's the, that's the holy trinity that we always talk about. Because if you buy in an area and you actually time it a little too early, but you've got a cash flow positive asset and then you can manufacture some equity or some more cash flow in that asset whilst you wait, or if things don't go according to plan, you are, you're diamond. Like you don't even need to worry about, you don't even need to worry about it. And then when the change happens that you've researched, you understand and all of that kind of stuff, when that change happens, it's like, it's like rocket fuel in your portfolio. And that's why it's so important to have all of these factors working together. Beautiful. Nice. That might be a good way to wrap it up. What do you reckon? I think so. Fantastic. Well, look, I hope this series is valuable to you um, because uh, understanding all this stuff is really going to be the key to helping you to get ahead. If you really want to start to see into the future and start to pick the right place at the right time, stick around because there's another, what, seven parts in this series. 
and this is going to continue on and we're going to continue to educate you to become a more empowered investor. Um, good luck out there and if you need any help at all and if you want to work with us privately, one-to-one to help you build your property portfolio and to do all that legwork and hard work for you so that you just get the reward without any of the hassle, then just look us up. Head to www.dashdot.com.au uh, dashdot.com.au forward slash discovery. Discovery. Yeah, forward slash discovery. If you just want to book in a 15-minute call with me and the team and we can go from there, see where you're at and see how we can help. Awesome. Awesome. Th- thanks so much, guys. And of course, if you have liked this and you like anything else we do, make sure you like, rate, share, review, do all of the stuff and... Um, Send us a nice message if you like it. Yeah. If you don't, then don't. Send us a message. <laughs> Send us an email. Send us an email to hello at dashdot.com.au and then we'll get that. Hey, We'd love to hear from you. <laughs> anyway, enjoy and of course, we, as ever, we'll see you in the next episode. Bye, guys. Bye.